Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, given that the Jets are still on hiatus, at least until this coming Friday, things are going to be a little bit different as for the show format. As you've come to expect, there have been a couple of, you know, more creative and and unique episodes as far as our usual schedule of game recaps and Jets analysis is concerned. On tonight's episode, we're going to do a little bit of a fun one, which is picking a couple of my favorite players um, who are either on the younger side or in their prime uh, from a couple of different positions. For this show, I'd like to pick two wingers and two defensemen. And then tomorrow and the rest of the week, until at least on Friday, we're going to have a couple of different positions each night, and then some, you know, random picks that I think will fit. Before getting into our our young and prime player picks, though, I think it's important to talk about the Kobe Bryant situation, which for many of you probably hits home on a lot of different levels. By now you've heard that Bryant, along with his daughter Gianna and seven others, were killed in a helicopter crash near Los Angeles. It was a very tragic moment, and for a lot of folks who have been sports fans, especially in my generation and previous generations, we all in some capacity grew up with Kobe's legacy, which means a lot of things for a lot of different people. I remember when I was a kid, and I think a lot of people will, you know, relate to this, we used to, whenever we threw paper balls into the trash can, yell Kobe as we did it. I didn't even watch basketball, but I knew his name, and I knew that, you know, within the NBA world, Kobe was a singular talent. And he has quite the career record, several championship titles, a couple of MVP awards, the second most points in a single game of all time. He became the youngest player to score 30,000 career points at the age of a little bit over 34. So, you know, obviously Bryant is a household name for NBA fans. And even culturally speaking, I think because he was a Los Angeles Laker and he was so prolific in both uh, the NBA the Women's National Basketball Association, and his various local charities, uh, participation with community organizations, all of his involvement in and around the Los Angeles, California area, as well as local charities and things, people have very strong feelings and memories of what Kobe Bryant meant to them. They put him on their walls and, and, you know, in the hallways in their houses. They idolized him. There are a lot of NBA players who actually modeled their games or were inspired by Kobe to come and play at the professional level. You can see it in the way that they talk about him and the way that they revere him, really. In a lot of ways, he was, for so many people, a national hero, especially basketball players and those who followed basketball. For as much as Kobe Bryant is known for on the professional and and off-the-court contributions to his community, one of the things that's never really gotten away from him is the fact that he was accused and in many respects kind of admitted to rape of a 19-year-old woman. This happened around 2003 and 2004. I won't recite the explicit facts of the case. You can find those on several articles that cover the issue in detail. The general gist of it, however, was that Kobe was not convicted or tried. What happened was he ended up settling the situation outside of the legal system and ended up making a settlement and an apology. I think the settlement in this case was actually the apology. In it, he basically said that he thought that the sex was consensual between him and this young woman, but when you listen to and read her account of the the situation and the circumstances, 
it would be considered anything but consensual. That single moment, and when whether or not it's happened again in, in multiple instances, we'll never know, but let's assume for now that this was a, a singular instance in his lifetime. So we have this now, and it's never really... It's always been a stain on his career and his personal reflection. When you look at his his handling of the situation, it's kind of hard to say that he really took responsibility or apologized for the situation beyond the statement that he made. And at the end of the day, the alleged victim, whether or not the situation fully occurred as she explained it, is always going to hurt her and haunt her. It wasn't just the alleged crime that she was a victim of. I believe she was also harassed by a lot of people who were surrounded the case and who were Kobe fans and who didn't believe her, which is a pretty common occurrence when you have rape accusations of any sort. People often assume that those who accuse especially popular celebrities and wealthy people of rape are in it for some kind of financial settlement, are really overlooking the fact that a lot of these people put themselves at great personal risk. The world of sports fandom, whether or not we choose to agree with it, is, can often be a very cruel place. And um, you get a lot of folks who feel very passionate about their teams and players, and who will stop at nothing to defend their so-called honor. We've seen this time and again with the Patrick Kane situation, which to this date is still not really resolved, but all the same, people continue to defend him, and say that all of his accusers are lying. While we can't really confirm or deny Patrick Kane's guilt, we also can't say that any of his accusers are for sure lying either. And in so many situations, the rate of false reports is actually extremely low. For the amount of personal trauma, both physical or psychological, that you would have to experience in order to go through with the process of reporting a sexual assault or a rape, it would be naive to say that these things are, are very simple financial matters. They aren't. And the victims of all of these crimes, aside from living through the experience, also have to deal with so many other pressures from external sources. So, when you're discussing the Kobe Bryant situation and his passing, especially with those who are either directly connected to, to rape and sexual assault survivors, or have experienced it themselves, or just have a really passionate feeling about it, don't immediately shut them down and invalidate the fact that they may not feel the same grief that you do. I think one of the hardest things for us to do is is talk about complicated issues and think about things from a very, not necessarily logical or balanced state. You, you can't in a situation like this. You're going to have some kind of feeling, oftentimes very visceral and passionate. But you're allowed to grieve, and you're also allowed to feel that Kobe really didn't reap the kind of consequences that he should have. There's a lot of people who are going to feel that him being lionized the way that he does is in and of itself a bit of of getting off easy in a lot of respects. What that does not change is the fact that, you know, Kobe's family is now going to have to live through the horror of losing both their father, a husband, and one of their sisters, as well as several other victims whose families and friends are going to have to deal with the exact same thing. Make no mistake, this was an unbelievable tragedy, and it's a very sad moment for everyone involved. I think it's important to be sensitive and avoid cruelty. I saw somebody tweet, uh, and its I don't know if the tweet's still there or if it's been removed, but the comment read, one less abuser, is you know basically a positive thing. And for me, I, I don't think that that's the appropriate reaction, because it implies that if that's all that defined Kobe, and it's not. It's, it's, he has a very complicated legacy, and that, that goes for a lot of people who are in very similar situations. But... By the same token, it's understandable that a lot of people will not be upset about his passing, and you shouldn't be so quick to say, oh, you're just being insensitive, or this is the only time you ever want to bring that up. Of course, it's going to be a, a very hot 
difficult issue to talk about, and it's going to be something that no one wants to handle. But unfortunately, this is the reality, and this is sort of the gray and, and complicated areas that we have to deal with. And so I'd ask of you just to be thoughtful, sensitive, and considerate. I know that you're going to hear a lot of different opinions about the whole situation on both sides of the fence, or even in the middle. As long as it's not something excessively cruel or, or mean-spirited, just be willing to listen and understand, and and perhaps even change a little bit of your perspective on things, and appreciate that for a lot of people, the empathy and the sympathy may be a bit hard for them to process. And even in the celebratory way that we talk about Kobe's career and his impact on the game, just understand there's going to be a lot of people who have been hurt by um, those who have committed actions like Kobe was accused of, and be willing to listen to those perspectives without immediately shutting them down and, and ignoring them, because ultimately they will be a part of Kobe's legacy as much as his career was. Thanks everyone for listening to my brief discussion on the Kobe Bryant passing. I hope that you guys will have understood and, and appreciated that for me this is a complicated topic. I mean, I, I grew up with this whole thing, uh, especially Kobe's legacy on both sides of it, so... For me, I thought this was important to talk about. But we're back to the actual hockey part of this show, which is obviously a ton of fun, and I enjoy it very much. Uh, and so thank you for you know listening to me, and thank you for your continued support. So for our first category of young and prime players, I'm going to pick two wingers. And the first winger I'm going to choose is Jakob Vrana from the Washington Capitals. For those of you who have never seen Jakob Vrana, He's kind of had an interesting pathway to the NHL. Back when Trotz was still around, Verano was kind of on the fringes because he had, well, I can attest from those I've heard who know him, he, he had some, you know, attitude issues. When Trotz benched him, it certainly wasn't because he was underperforming badly or because, you know, he was doing particularly well either. A lot of times he just had a bit of disciplinary issues because he didn't want to play minor ice time. He wanted full top six minutes. He wanted to get second-line deployments. He wanted power play time. He wanted a lot of things that people weren't ready to give him at the time, and they didn't feel he deserved yet. When he was with the Hershey Bears in the AHL, he definitely was chomping at the bit for the big club, and he wanted to come up to the NHL. He wanted to be a part of all of the Caps action. And for a long time, he really wasn't able to get those spots that he was hoping for. He was picked around David Posternock's selection, and he was, at the time, a very highly touted prospect. But it took a bit of time for him to really hit his stride. Fast forward a bit, and Jakob Vrana became, well, really I guess his breaking out celebration was during the 2017-2018 playoffs. He had already had a very good regular season, but still a little bit under the radar outside of those who were Caps fans. During the Magical Stanley Cup run, though, Vrana was very well known because of some of the goals that he scored against the Pittsburgh Penguins, especially one that I saw when I was coming back from Winnipeg on the plane, which was the Game 5 I believe the game winner. He has a, a slightly famous celebration among Caps fans, at least, of him, you know, hoisting one leg in the air and almost doing like a, a bit of a Captain Morgan hands up, uh, skate on the keg kind of celebration. Vrana, very much after the after they won the cup, was a huge party animal. Dude knows how to have fun, and you know, perhaps nowhere is that better reflected than his on ice performance this season, where he's been an absolute monster for the Washington Caps. He's had, I think. I think as of tonight, he's had 19 even-strength goals, which is, when you think about it, pretty flippin' ridiculous. The only guy who ever really gets close to that is Alexander Ovechkin. But Vrana is a really positive expected goal influence, he's a shot creator, and when you watch him, he actually elevates his linemates. He has a great ability to find very soft spots in coverage, 
He's got great vision. Um, and I think what he does best is he can kind of drive in and around the low slot area and attack it very aggressively. But he has a very deceptive shot, too. And because of his small stature, he can kind of slip between different defensive gaps and find himself in places where people aren't marking him. His shifty skating and ability to accelerate rather quickly, especially against defenders in one-on-one matchups, makes him an unholy terror. And when you give him talented linemates that he can pass the puck to, you're going to see his point totals jump up a lot. Jakob Vrana is a really complete forward, and I would probably say that of the guys that I could compare him to, I think that his total impact in the way that he plays is maybe similar to Nikolai Ehlers. I, I think that Ehlers is a little bit better in terms of skating and transition, but in my mind, he's probably the one that I would think is most comparable to Vrana's performance. Jakob gives Washington a true offensive juggernaut, and I think that the Caps this year, at least, are probably... I don't know. They might be my pick for the Stanley Cup just because I think that the field is weaker than it's been, and the Pens can't really rely on not having a a hilariously terrible string of injury luck that I think might eventually catch up to them. You know, the Blues are are fine. They play pretty good hockey, I guess. I'm just a little bit underwhelmed by the way that they play. I think that they maybe opt for defensive alignments a little bit too much. Uh, and they also surrender a lot of high-danger opportunities, even though they don't surrender that many opportunities to begin with. Whoever emerges out of the East, whether it's Washington, Pittsburgh, for some reason the Isles might be there, uh, or the Tampa Bay Lightning, who also have an equally, if not greater, claim to the throne than the Caps, there's just a lot of options from the Eastern Conference that I think are going to be, if anything, at least um, a, a real genuine cup contender list. The other winger that I'd probably choose is, well, I'm, I'm going to go with David Pasternak. I think Pasta is one of the best scorers in the NHL, and this season he's putting up absolutely ridiculous numbers. I, I don't know whether or not we can call it sustainable over the rest of his career, but either way, Bruins fans have to love that they have a true franchise winger and one of the best, most gifted goal scorers in the NHL. He has a really lanky frame, he's got an excellent shot, he has incredible breakout speed, excellent vision, great passing, and he seems to find a lot of gaps in coverage as a poacher would. Pasta is a very complete threat, and it's very obvious why he was drafted as highly as he was when he was taken around the same time that Vrana was. Pasternak is an excellent skater and one of the most gifted offensive forwards in the NHL, and I think that this season, he and Vrana are definitely in the top 10, very likely top 5 winger conversation. They both create a ton of offense, they're both very gifted players, they both elevate their line mates, Uh, Pasternak is probably living off of a pretty high shooting percentage, but it's not like he isn't earning some of those goals either. He's definitely finding vulnerabilities and really taking advantage of high danger opportunities when they arise. That he can also kind of create magical scoring opportunities out of almost nothing is really down to his ingenuity and his creativity, and he has both in spades. He and Jakob are going to forge a really bright future for their teams, and at least for their careers, they have a, a pretty high trajectory ahead. Verona still has room to grow. I think Pasternak is probably what he is at this point in his career, and what he is is a phenomenal winger. Definitely a top-line forward, and somebody who Boston fans are going to love for many years to come. For me, I don't really know where Verona's exact ceiling lies. I think that he's a first-line forward, but just how good he's going to get is kind of hard to say. He still has a bit of room for growth, and I think that we're just starting to see the returns on his, uh, his scoring ability start to yield more points. We already know he's a fantastic play driver, but now the points totals are starting to catch up to it. That does it for our wingers, and before we get to our two defensemen picks, I'd like to give you a quick update. 
If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard about all the great advertising opportunities that we've had with Locked On Sports. What you may not know is that the Locked On Winnipeg Jets show is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans just like you. Unlike other podcasts, the Locked On podcast format, which is daily, gives your local company the unique ability to reach podcast listeners in the Winnipeg area on a regular basis. These aren't just any podcast listeners, they're Locked On podcast fans who are fans as passionate about the Winnipeg Jets as you are. If you're looking for a well-educated, predominantly male audience with disposable income, then feel free to reach out and get in contact with us as soon as possible. Our team will work with you every step of the way, leading you to Locked On Podcast advertising success. For more information, be sure to text ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. Again, be sure to text ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com slash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you soon. To close us out this evening, I'm going to pick two young prime defensemen who I think are both difference makers for their respective squads. And the first one that I'm going to choose is a Finnish player from the Dallas Stars, one who is a bit more familiar to Jets fans, at least because we've seen him on quite a few occasions. Uh, But he's actually not a household name in the rest of the league, which is kind of surprising because I'd argue this young guy is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. I am, of course, referring not to Julius Honka, who is actually very good himself, but not really with the NHL club at this time, but Miro Heiskanen one of his Finnish compatriots. Heiskanen's a pretty big kid, but he's also a fantastic skater. He's got a really hard shot, and he's one of the best two-way and offensive defensemen in the NHL. He marries a very high play-reading play IQ with really smart positioning, great shooting, and natural offensive instincts that allow him to carve up opposing teams in the offensive zone. He's also not afraid to throw his weight around, and he's definitely somebody who is trying to work on his defensive positioning, as well as his physical play to force turnovers and get inside cuts against opposing skatering forwards. Heiskinen is an incredibly skilled defenseman and somebody who I think has a very high ceiling and he's only continuing to improve each and every season. When he was drafted I will admit I was a bit suspicious. I, you know, Every year that prospects come around I usually have a little bit of suspicion about some of the top picks especially because it's kind of hard to tell whose scouting departments are really all that robust. Heiskinen was pretty highly regarded and was considered one of the best defensemen of his class but I think even a few of us were probably surprised at just how high he went. Dallas, though, clearly believed that they had something special in him, and I think that they have been extremely well rewarded with one of the best young, especially Finnish defensemen in the NHL. At the tender age of 20, Miro's already racked up 33 points in his previous season and is on pace for about a 41 or 42 point season, which is considerably better than his previous year, and it's not like these are empty points either. Heiskinen is great at even strength and on the power play, and he can really do it all. Considering the Stars aren't exactly loaded with a whole lot of goal-scoring talent, Heiskanen's production is very impressive for a guy who's only 20, and uh, is his first couple of seasons in North America. Miro might be a very special defenseman, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens as he progresses and continues to improve and acclimate to the North American climate. Kind of like Vili Heinola, he has an extremely high IQ, he's got great vision, and I think that he has all of the physical tools to make him if not an elite number one defenseman, which I think he arguably already is, well then at least a a top four high-end kind of guy, you know, a number three or very likely a number two if he's not a number one. Our next defenseman has had something of a, a bit of a down year for his particular squad, and it's not like one can really blame him. He was carrying most of the offensive load when this particular team, which is the Ottawa Senators, were doing horribly last year. That player is, of course, Thomas Shabbat, the former St. John Sea Dogs player who is very tall, and that's kind of the first thing that immediately stuck out to him. 
but where people really got to get a bit more familiar with him was when he started appearing for Team Canada's World Juniors team. I'd heard of Shabbat previously from his scouting reports before he was drafted, but when I saw him in the World Juniors, I saw someone who was particularly special because he had excellent skating, kind of like Heiskanen, he's got a great shot, great offensive instincts. Defensively, not quite in the same category. I think Miro's ability to defensively position himself and his vision are probably a bit better, even if Shabbat may have more physical traits that make him desirable. Thomas, though, is just a big, mean offensive defenseman who is kind of like if Tyler Myers never really stopped being good. Um, Myers, at one point, was a very gifted skater. He still is, but he was a, a very dominant offensive force when he was, I think, in his rookie season for the Buffalo Sabres. Shabbat kind of does that and then more. Thomas was driving a lot of Ottawa's point success last year, and for a while he was on a ridiculous scoring streak that... Of course he couldn't really sustain, but also he contributed a high percentage of his team's overall scoring and uh, factored in on a lot of the goals that he did score if it wasn't coming from his stick. Shabbat's kind of a fascinating case because he just got extended, I think for six years, six million, something like that, uh, but he's obviously very talented. He's the kind of guy that is, I would classify, probably a franchise defenseman. I think that he is going to be a long-term option for Ottawa, and if for any reason they ever decide to trade him, Whoever gets him is going to be very fortunate and very blessed. Despite having a bit of a, a setback this season, I think Shabbat has a very high ceiling. He's a great player. He's already shown us a lot at the NHL level, and I think as he continues to improve, and as Ottawa maybe stabilizes down the road, he's going to be somebody that they consider an anchor for their squad going forward. Like Heiskanen, he's both good on the power play and the even strength situations, which makes him obviously a very valuable, versatile asset, so... I think in a lot of ways, Shabbat is, again, another ideal offensive defenseman. And there's increasingly a lot of these guys coming around. We've got Kael McCarr. In some ways, even Vili Heinola has been a more surprising offensive force than you'd expect. But uh, we're kind of living in this golden age of a lot of guys who are, well, maybe inspired by Eric Carlson's prototype that set out this offensive, free-flowing, free-skating, offensively gifted defenseman who really you might as well consider a fourth forward, but when need be can track back, set up good defensive positioning, and really shut shut out opposing forwards. Uh, Shabbat and Heiskanen both have very bright futures, and their present is already pretty good as it is, so it'll be fun to see where they track back towards, you know, in the coming seasons. I think on our next show we're going to take two centers, we're also going to take two goalies, and two, uh, let's say, prospects from, uh, you know, all across the league. As always, guys, thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and go Jets go.